Why do people engage in violent behavior? Hey everybody, it's Daniel here, the guy who paid the big bucks for the psychology courses, attended the lectures, read the textbooks, so you don't have to. Let's talk about what I mean when I say violent behavior. Now this can be violence towards oneself or towards other people. This could be things such as mugging somebody, an assault, vandalism, engaging in crime. This could even mean violence which comes out during a robbery. This could mean lighting a car on fire, or we could go as dark as a school shooting. What leads people to engage in violent acts? Now that's a bit of a tricky question because we don't know with 100% certainty. Because there's so much individual variables that need to be accounted for. However, in a course I took called Psychology and Law, we looked at some of the most common factors that were involved when someone took part in violent behavior. Meaning, we recognize there is no set pattern for everybody. This is not universal for everybody. It's not like everybody who engages in violent behavior is going to have one of these factors. However, on average, when scientists try to predict who may engage in future violent or harmful behavior towards themselves or towards others, there were a couple of things that kept coming up in people's past. And they thought, hmm, out of the, let's say, 20 people that we've looked at that have engaged in this violent act of robbery, of school shooting, of partner abuse, 18 out of 20 had these things that were all similar, that were overlapping. Now we're going to talk about some of these. And then the very last one is going to be the biggest predictor that someone could engage in violence in the future. So the first thing to note is that one of the predictors of violence is being male. When you look at violence, whether it be for assault, sexual assault, robbery, vandalism, school shootings, statistically speaking, the probability that it's going to be a male compared to a female is, is more. The second variable we want to talk about is age. I want to be careful that I don't say all or mostly, but a pattern is that it's a male in that young adult age, let's say 18 to 25, that all of a sudden the probability increases. Now, once again, just because we meet these two variables does not mean we're going to engage in violence. There's people here who will never engage in violence. However, the more of these we check off, the more researchers are saying the probability increases. Okay, so take this with a grain of salt. So male, between the ages of 18 to 25, has a mental health disorder, okay? So I'm not saying, oh, so-and-so is depressed. No, no, like a clinically diagnosed disorder. Now, going back to my disclaimer, this is why I said it's not like having one or two or three of these things means you're going to engage in a violent act. Because Daniel is not saying, oh, my friend has ADHD, so he's more likely to engage in violence. Mm -mm. Having a mental health disorder does not cause you to be more violent. It's complicated. But here's what oftentimes happens. When someone does engage in violent behavior, and then it turns out they were suffering from depression, or they had bipolar disorder, or there was some mental health component there, the media spins it as mental health difficulty led to this violent act. Therefore, we need to be more careful. We need to have them more in psychiatric hospitals. We need to make sure they're taking their medication. 
And from the research I've looked at, it's not that simple. So mental health is one variable, but it's definitely not the biggest predictor and it's not the only one. So male, 18 to 25, mental health disorder, some form of substance abuse, or it could even be a substance disorder. So meaning doing something so much so this could be alcohol, this could be smoking, some other hard drugs that we can ingest, so much so that they meet the DSM, the diagnostic criteria for a substance use disorder. And oftentimes we see those two linked together. Having little to no social contact. Being almost withdrawn completely from society. What do I mean by that? That means this is going to be an individual who isn't a part of a club, who maybe doesn't go to school, doesn't go to work, or if they do, they're in the back, they're in the corner, they don't engage, they're in their own world, they don't go to church on Sundays, they're not involved in the community, and on top of that, they have little to no social connection. They have very few, if any, friends. So really, the key here is social connection. They're by themselves. They're at home. They don't, they don't have a big friend group. Or even if they have a small friend group, it's not like, I'm not talking about quality and quantity, having 10 friends versus one good friend. Even if they have one friend, they don't feel close to them. They don't get that sense of connection from them. So all of a sudden, you have an individual who's a male, who's between the ages of 18 to 25, who has a mental health disorder, a substance use disorder, little to no social connection. And what do you think happens when we combine those things together? Well, if you're someone who has little to no social connection, well, let's go back for a moment. You're a 19 year old guy, and maybe you have a mental health difficulty. And maybe that mental health difficulty makes it harder for you to socialize. And because of your own irrational beliefs or because of your environment, you end up pulling back. You end up withdrawing. You don't go out as much. You don't get involved as much. So all of a sudden, out goes your social connection. You have your mental health disorder. And it's very common for young people, especially between the ages of 18 to 25, especially if they're male, to engage in substance use, whether that be smoking cigarettes, marijuana, or alcohol. Now think about how those things would combine. And there's one last one that I want to emphasize, which is the biggest predictor that someone will engage in future acts of violence. The biggest predictor that someone will engage in future acts of violence right now. And as soon as I say it, you're going to say, oh, Daniel, I knew this is what you were going to say, or duh, that's obvious, but we're going to break it down. It's a history of engaging in violent behavior. Meaning, the biggest predictor that someone's going to engage in violent behavior, that they're going to abuse their next girlfriend, is if they abuse their past girlfriend. The biggest predictor that they're going to assault someone in the future, that they're going to vandalize or rob somebody, is if they've done it before in the past. So then we get to this discussion of, you know, people change, and just because they did something, that doesn't mean one mistake changes their entire life or just because they did it once they're going to do it again sure however it doesn't change the statistical fact 
that if you have person A and person B and person A has done something, insert violent act here, statistically speaking, and person B hasn't done anything, the probability that person A could repeat that behavior, be it in a new environment, be it with a different person, is higher than person B. The same is true for infidelity. So when you look at the research in social psychology as it pertains to cheating on your partner, cheating on your wife or husband, your spouse, when they were looking at what causes someone to cheat and to cheat again, it was interesting. They, they said, look, from our research, from our data, it shows that when we have a partner who cheats on another, and then once that partner finds out, or let's say they come clean, the partner who got cheated on, if they 100% fully forgive their partner for the act of infidelity, the chance that that partner who already cheated once will do it again increases. Whereas in couples who didn't fully forgive their partner, who said, look, I get it. It's almost water under the bridge. We can move forward, but I, I do not forgive you for what you did or I'm gonna hold it over you, or something like that, where it wasn't like, okay, we're just gonna pretend like it never happened. Those ones actually had lower levels, a lower probability that that person would cheat again when they were not fully forgiven. That doesn't mean people can't change. That doesn't mean you're gonna hear so many stories or maybe yourself listening to this, being a person who has done something or things in the past, and now five, 10, 15 years, you haven't engaged in any of those acts. And they're absolutely out there. And to make a blanket statement and say just because someone's done something in their past automatically means they're going to do it again in the future is not true and frankly I think is inaccurate. Inaccurate if not completely false. However, if we just look at statistics in relation to probability and trying to predict when someone will engage in future violent behavior, we see a couple of commonalities. So the question becomes, does, do mental health disorders make people violent? And we can see how that's tricky. Because when someone goes and does something horrific, when they assault someone in traffic, if there's a school shooting, it's pretty hard to look at that situation and say, yeah, there's nothing wrong with them. They're just a regular guy. He just lost his patience. No, no, no. We distance ourselves from them. We try to make them as foreign as possible to go, well, look, he must be sick. Because if he's a regular person, I'm a regular person. If he has the capacity to do that, maybe I do. Maybe my friends do. So we use mental health in a way to kind of distance people. And what that unfortunately does is it further stigmatizes them. And it makes us look at people with mental health difficulties differently. And when we do that, and when those people feel that, they feel isolated and we're pushing them away, which leads to little to no social connection. So by this idea of stigmatizing mental health even further, we push people down that route even further. We end up making the situation worse. Now, this certainly is not an excuse. I hope no one's listening to this video is going, oh, Daniel's trying to find excuses for people that engage in violent behavior. And even though I think there's a conversation to be had about how we could minimize violent behavior by addressing these things, and that 
not everyone who engages in violent behavior is inherently evil or inherently a bad person. We cannot just sweep things under the rug of saying, oh, well, this person has a mental health difficulty. Well, folks, there's a lot of people out there with mental health difficulties. Not all of them are engaging in violent behavior. So-and-so assaulted somebody. He was off his meds. We have a mental health problem in this country. Well, there's a lot of people on medication. I would love to know as how many people on medication are actually engaging in violent behavior. Because I don't know what the data is on that. So the question becomes, if we single out mental health as the sole variable behind the cause of violence, what are we really doing? Who are we really helping? How do we help address their need? So the question becomes, as a society, what do we do about this? When we start recognizing these patterns of, of violence or, again, some of these overlaps, these commonalities that we notice, what do we say? What do we do? Maybe as I'm talking, you're thinking about a friend or a neighbor or maybe even yourself. Having one, two or three of these things or even displaying all the things that I just said, again, does not mean you're going to engage in any violence. But... studies show that it can increase the probability so we have to be really really careful when we look at articles or watching the news and it's talking about mental health and the mental health problem and people need to be more medicated and, and this and that and that and this or the people on the other side who go look it's not that big of a deal they have a mental health problem let's just kind of look over it let's just look they have a mental health problem all right so what can you do well, folks, just having a mental health problem doesn't make it okay to do whatever you want to do. You get to a point societally, and, and this saying this might rub, might rub people the wrong way, but just because you feel angry or sad or you have been diagnosed with bipolar disorder doesn't mean you can go in to the grocery store and do or say whatever you want and yell at the cashier. Or put your hands on somebody. And then justify by saying, oh, well, I have a mental health disorder. Because if that was the case, anybody could do almost anything and they could use any justification. Oh, well, I did that because I was angry. Because I haven't eaten all day. People face a lot of difficulties. Whether it's genetics, whether it's because of the environment that they grew up in. The goal is to become aware. The goal is to look out for ourselves. So maybe the question of what do we do about this is a wrong question. Because we do not have to take on society's problems necessarily. Here's where me and a sociologist would disagree. I, as one person, do not take on the problems of society. I take on the problems of Daniel. Just me. Maybe my loved ones around me, but that's it. And if I can make sure I'm well, and I'm taking care of myself, and I'm getting social connection, and I'm in a good place, I am going to have, and here's the key, folks, if I take care of myself to the best of my abilities, I'm going to be in a good place. And when I'm in a good place, I have the capacity to give. If I'm not taking care of myself, everybody suffers. To say, oh, well, that just means I'm not going to do very well and my mood sucks, that's oversimplification. If you're in a bad mood, 
it's gonna influence everybody around you. It's gonna influence your coworkers, it's gonna influence your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your friends, your family members. So the better way to approach it is not what are all of society's problems and how can I fix them necessarily, but the first step is what do I need in life? And as long as I'm tending to myself, we can start to change our trajectory and start moving upwards. And if everybody did that, if everybody just sat back and went, what do I need right now? Do I need more social connection? Do I need to talk to somebody? Have I been drinking a lot recently? Not only would it benefit yourself, but it would benefit the people around you. So that's some food for thought. If you enjoyed, fantastic. If it was educational, even better. Take care of yourselves, everybody. Stay safe. Bye-bye.